During the JFAL conference in the Netherlands, we spoke to many speakers and guests. This is part one of our review. Welcome to the Fujay Podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. A few months ago, I asked the JFAL organization team if a Fujay broadcast room would be a good idea. And they said yes. So suddenly I found myself in the middle of the entrance of the Pathé Cinema in Ede with a camera and microphones. During the day I had a lot of exciting talks. There are way too many to fit in one podcast, so the following weeks you will get different episodes handling a lot of topics. This is part one, and we talk about JFAL of course, but also about the evolutions in Java and how it's becoming the best cloud environment while keeping systems sustainable and reducing the ecological, financial and security impact of applications. Let's start early in the morning with Brian, one of the organizers. Good morning. Yes, I'm doing great. Like I'm pumped up for JFall this year. So yeah, good, good. Well, early morning, but yeah, we're we're there. But I've I've got I've got my coffee. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I need it. <laughs> sure. Um, you're one of the organizers. Absolutely. What's your role in NL Jug JFall? With uh, within the NL Jug, I am one of the board members. Like we have a board of six. Uh, but for JFall specifically, I am co-leading together with Bertrand Schreiber. Uh, we're co-leading the uh, program committee. So pretty much me and Bajan are in charge of who's coming into JFAL and, and making sure that everything is reviewed for the speakers. We had 455 CFP submissions and we only have like place for say 60. Mm -hmm. So that that was our that was our job. That's why you also start very early, because before the keynotes, there are already sessions going on. Yeah. Before the keynote, we have our early bird sessions, and our early bird sessions are there for people that want to be in early because to beat traffic or that's that kind of stuff. And we already can have some 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 interesting talks for them. Uh, and then at pretty much at 9 a.m. we start with the official opening. But yeah, there are already sessions going on right now. You're in the keynotes. Yes, I am. And it's in 30 minutes. It's a pretty much in 30 minutes. Yep. Bit nervous. No, no, I'm not nervous because, um, like, I don't have anything useful to say, which sounds weird. But no, I do. I'm, I am. I am there to do the opening, mm -hmm. uh, to tell the, the 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 things that people need to know for getting out and about here at JFall. Um, and after that, we have an actual actual technical keynote, mm -hmm. um, which I can do. But we invited somebody somebody else to do that. So uh, so I, I I just I just say welcome to everybody and, and all, the, all the things that they need to know how JFall works for first-time users or how to vote for the sessions, that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. Um, how many people will be here today? That's always a guess, but we sold out, it, which means we have about 1,800 attendees. Whoa. Yeah. For eight rooms in parallel? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of content to consume. It, there, there's a lot of content to consume. It will also be that some rooms will be filled up and full if, if people are not there in time. But that is just what it is. But we have like we have actually we have nine consecutive. We have nine parallel tracks. So yes, there's a lot of like there's a lot of there are a lot of a lot of good topics, a lot of good speakers. So I'm uh, I'm pretty psyched uh, for today. Okay, uh, finish the coffee. That you're pumped up for the <laughs> keynote. Have fun. Thanks, Frank. And uh, yeah, I think you will be walking around the whole day. Absolutely, absolutely. Take we will we will we will we will taking care of, we will be taking care of small things that. The people around here won't notice, and then I did my job well, right? So, all right, see you later. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Pratik Patel had a lot of info to share about how he looks at the evolutions of Java and how it's being used in all kinds of organizations. My name is Pratik Patel. Uh, I lead the developer relations team at Azul Systems, a company that you may know. 
yeah, so because... Frank is actually my coworker. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of things happening in Java. What's the most important evolution? Yeah, it's it's a great question. Uh, obviously, uh, Java 21 just came out, right? So JDK 21, um, and there's loads of great language features in it. And one of the things that's been really nice over the last few years, in my opinion, is that we have been more quickly adding language features to the Java language over the last three to five years. Because if you remember, we made a gigantic leap when we went into Java 8 with lambdas, right? Mm -hmm. That was like a big, big thing, right? And then, of course, there was some, there wasn't really great backward compatibility between 8 and 9, 10, 11, because mm -hmm. there's a bunch of stuff that changed. But, but for me, it's the, the pace of the, the language, uh, getting new features, you know, nice things like records, uh, pattern matching, et cetera, that help developers write cleaner and better code. Because for me, uh, I don't get paid by the number of lines of code I write. I get paid for writing quality software just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. So having that ability to have more expressive Java code, in my opinion, is the most important thing because the less code means there's less code to manage, less code to maintain, less code to migrate, easier to understand, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. so, so you have this very fast evolution, a lot of new versions. How fast are people moving to these new versions? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, recently, the company that we work at, Azul Systems, uh, we just released a state of Java survey. Uh, and Frank will drop a link in for everybody mm -hmm. so you can grab it. And one of the survey questions was, what version of Java are you currently using? Right? And what, what's interesting, and I found a little bit surprising, is the number of people that are on 11, Java 11 and 17. Obviously, the survey was just done very recently mm -hmm. before the Java 21 came out. Um, but there are very few people using 19, 20, uh, 19 and 20. Most in between. Um, but, but I was actually impressed by the number of folks who are on 11 and 17 because the migration path from 11 to 17 is actually, you know, 11, 17 to 21 is actually very easy. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, uh, it, it, it shouldn't surprise me, but it still does. Uh, how many people are still using Java 8 <laughs> or Java 6? Right? How old are these? Yeah, I know, right? It's like, <laughs> I think Java 8 came out 15 years ago, yeah. right? So it's a long time ago. But um, isn't that also a quality thing for Java? It's 15 years old, but it still runs. Yes, uh, absolutely. This is one of the things when you talk to people in different developer communities, whether it's JavaScript um, or, or Elixir or Python or whatever, the, uh, the the fact that Java 8 code or even Java 6 code, right? We have some customers at Azul who are still on an older version. Um, they're still running 6. And it you know they don't really do much with those applications, but it still works. It's rock solid. You know, you would probably be surprised uh, at who's still running old software like that. You know, things that you rely on, mm -hmm. like your bank or your insurance company or whatever. Some of these companies are still running very old versions of Java. And you're right, it's totally a testament to the, the deep thought that goes into the evolution of the Java language and ensuring backwards compatibility. And like, you know, there's still bug mm -hmm. fixes and stuff that come out for mostly security things now um, for those older versions of Java. Mm -hmm. So definitely. Uh, you said you were a bit surprised that not a lot of people are on 19 or 20. Is that because most companies stick to these long-term support versions? Yeah, I think, you know, when when I think of a typical Java shop, right, of course there are startups using Java to build stuff. There are medium-sized companies and then large companies and then very large companies like enterprises uh, that are, you know, using Java. 
So I think for me, uh, the, the, you see a lot of the smaller companies, startups, the mid-sized companies are able to shift more quickly to newer versions of Java. And, and, and when I talk to, uh, you know, just Java developers in general or Azul customers, what I find is that everyone has a certain level of risk that they're willing to, to absorb. Because moving, even moving from you know, 11 to 12 or 17 to 19 or whatever, 18, there, there's a certain amount of risk that's involved there. And on top of that, there's a lot of work that needs to go in, right? So, and, and we're, we're maturing in this universe, in our Java universe, people are building stuff using CI and CD pipelines. So you have continuous integration, continuous testing. We're getting better every year in testing these different kinds of things. And we have things, tools that we didn't have even five years ago, like test containers, right? Test containers is a great tool. You, you can literally run integration type tests. You know, yes, you have your unit test, but now you get a much more uh, confidence and able to catch bugs with these test container, you know, semi-integration test type of environments. So, um, so, so everything is improving. So I think the velocity at which people will upgrade from 17 to 18 or, you know, now from 20 or 17 to 21, whatever, I think the velocity of that and the number of people who do that will probably increase very quickly because we're as a as a developer community we are getting better at automating a lot of the things that introduce that risk into doing a JDK upgrade right mm -hmm. I mean for most java devs it's like you just flip from 17 to 18 or 21 and it just works right but you still want to be careful, especially like, oh, I don't know if you work for a large bank <laughs> and, you know, you have these transactions going through it, which, you know, it's not it's not just a, the back end for TikTok or something. Right? It's yeah. like actually something that uh, customers will care very much if it's not correct kind okay. of thing. So and probably it's a good idea for developers to really already start using newer versions, even if they don't use it in production. Yeah, yeah. because they can experiment with new features, they can see the benefits, and yeah. maybe then decide still to bump their production to a newer version because they're using some new methods which make their developer work yeah. easier yeah. and then force it into production. Yeah, you know, actually, you have a really good point there, right? So if I'm a developer and I'm running on Java 17 today, I have two different options I can take, right? I can either go from 17 to 18 when 18 comes out, and then 18 to 19, et cetera. Or I can just say, you know what, I'm just gonna wait until the next LTS version comes out. So, so the question that, that I ask myself and I ask other developers is, which path is more suited for your process? Because this is not a technology problem. This is more a process and yeah. people problem, right? So if you have the CI pipeline built out and you have the ability to do these nice tests and you're, you're doing those automated tests, then maybe taking those baby steps to the next LTS release is the right thing to do, okay? Or if you're not so confident about, you know, do you have everything tested, then you probably wanna, you know, say, okay, let's wait till the next LTS and really put some effort behind testing everything. Some of it has to be manual and things like that, mm -hmm. right? So, um, and, and of course, there, there's other factors in there, which is uh, what's, what's the licensing look like, right? If I go from 17 to 18, how long is that 18 version supported? Right? Is it, do, do I have to then, you know, do, do I need to pay for support if I stay on 18 once 19 comes out? So there's a lot of factors that yeah, come in. Yeah. And actually, we uh, at Azul, we have a book called, uh, help me out here, Dummy's Guide to Open JDK Migration, yeah, yeah. which Frank will also drop a link mm -hmm. in so Indeed. that you can go have a look yeah. 
and and it explains in more detail about that kind of stuff. Um, but but the but the the survey that I was referencing, the state of Java survey, uh, it's also definitely worth looking at because it's interesting to see the different versions that everyone's using, yeah. and it's also interesting to see how many people are moving to the cloud or have moved their job apps to the cloud. Mm -hmm. What big data platforms are they using? So one thing out of the big data thing that surprised me a little bit was I thought in my brain that like a lot more people were using Apache Kafka. But actually, it's yes, there are a lot of people yeah. using it, but it's not, the number wasn't nearly yeah. as high as I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I think it was, and again, this is from memory, so yeah. The, yeah, I may be wrong, but it was like 30 to 40%. And you know, by now, like every conference you go to, everyone is just talking about <laughs> Kafka and event streaming, you know, event sourcing mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So I was like, oh, of course, at least half the companies out there are using yeah. it, but that's actually not the case. Yeah. So anyways, the, 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 uh, the survey is well worth reading because I think from, like, from my own point of view as a developer, it's, it's nice to see what other people are using right now and like, you know, hey, am I really far behind yeah. the curve or am I ahead of the curve, right? It helps me make decisions uh, as a developer and a software architect that, yeah, you know what? It's, it looks like a lot of people are like still using Elastic mm -hmm. And a lot of people still using Kafka. Maybe I should put together a proposal yeah. for my own team and think about: the, is there a fit for those products in what we're trying mm -hmm. to build? Especially if you're building next generation based architectures based on event streaming, like with Kafka. So, as we learned from Pratik, Java is evolving fast for all kinds of use cases, including cloud applications. With Grace Johnson, I talked about the shift of Java to become a full cloud citizen. My name is Grace Johnson, and I'm presenting at J4. And what are you presenting? Presenting on the challenges that we face as modern cloud-native Java developers, and how things like platform engineering and internal developer pl platforms and portals can help with those challenges. OK, clouds. So is that something which matches with Java? In terms of like the cloud infrastructure? Is Java a good language for the clouds? <laughs> I would say originally, no. no. It was never designed with the cloud in mind. Java, the cloud, cloud doesn't exist. Well, exactly. <laughs> Java is older than I am. So like there definitely wasn't a cloud at this point. You know what I mean? Um, so originally, no. But I would say thanks to the continued efforts of the sort of stewards and community and contributors to the Java ecosystem, it's getting there. I'm not going to say it's perfect because I don't think any language is perfect for the cloud because it's continuously evolving but it's definitely in a much better place. And we have the tools and the infrastructure and the technologies to be able to help more traditional Java apps get to the cloud. Mm -hmm. And what has changed in Java that made it better for the cloud? I think the uh, sort of, the features within Java themselves, firstly, but secondly, the supporting uh, tools and technologies and projects that enable those Java apps to be able to modernize to be able to migrate and to be able to be effectively deployed on the cloud. Mm -hmm. So being able to, it's, it's not just a, you know, we fix the language and everything else falls into place. It takes a whole ecosystem of projects and tools, whether that be open source or proprietary to support those applications, to be able to get them to the mm -hmm. cloud. So I think it's a mixture of evolution in the language itself and evolution in the supporting ecosystem around mm -hmm. it. And there are more changes coming to Java. Yeah. Some specific things you're looking forward to? Uh, so I really want to try out more around Project Loom. I'm quite interested in sort of the threading there. Um, I haven't had much of a chance to play around with it yet. Um, but hopefully, maybe I'll get to have a play around soon, maybe make a demo or something. That would be quite fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Can you summarize your talk in two sentences for us now? Okay. Uh, we face a lot of challenges as cloud-native developers. And in order to support us going forward as we develop cloud-native apps, we need to be considering how we can do a developer-first infrastructure approach. And IDPs, internal developer platforms, and platform engineering might just be something you'd want to consider for that. And what is an internal platform? What is it? So the clue's in the name. So um, I say IDP. We're in technology. We just love acronyms. Um, you might use IDP to describe internal developer portal, which is sort of the face that you'd interact with the UI. But internal developer platform is all about designing an internal, so internally facing, not anything like um, you might be familiar with external developer platforms like Twilio's developer platform. We're not talking about external facing, mostly internal mm -hmm. for the organization. Developer, because we're really focused on the development of the apps, you know, what are developers now responsible for? And platform, because this is really the approach we're taking to be able to provide a single space, a platform, uh, to be able to uh, utilize it to effectively build and deploy and maintain and manage our apps. So you have this separation of development and then operation, run it in the cloud, then DevOps is the merge of it. How responsible should the developer be about where his stuff is running? <laughs> so there's always a balance, right? Um, and that balance is, I would say, very specific to each organization. Because where I think platform engineering comes in is instead of having a dev team and an ops team, and you know, you're throwing stuff over the fence, you don't care about it, or the opposite end, where you've got ops focusing on really innovative, you know, mm -hmm. Kubernetes-focused uh, sort of responsibilities, and development taking on more and more and more of the ops, starting to get more towards that DevOps, where platform engineering comes in and enables you to have a team, a platform engineering team, to take responsibilities off both, off ops and off dev, to be able to provide a standardized set of tools, of build scripts, of um, code, like infrastructure as, co as code, for example, so that your developers can focus on their applications, your ops can focus really on sort of the operation side of things, so maybe billing, for example, or um, sort of the underlying hardware, as an example, and your platform engineering can really do the stuff in between. So it should hopefully be better for both. Okay. And then you have, we have already talked about this a few times, is uh, FinOps, yep. the financial aspect, and the EcoOps. Yep. The oh, there's so many. MLOps. <laughs> what You've is that? ML for machine learning. Oh, machine learning. Yeah, okay. GitOps. They already DevOps. have ops? Okay. There's like an endless amount of ops. <laughs> but how, how important is the cost in that thing? So cost is always going to be a major factor, I would say. It's not necessarily something that all developers think in the forefront of their mind, you know, am I deploying in a cost-effective manner? Because we like to innovate. We like to do fun stuff. We're not necessarily thinking about what some consider the, price. the boring price aspect. But at the end of the day, most of us work for organizations that need to reach a bottom line. And so cost is a major factor. Even if you're working for something like a charity or an NGO, cost is still a factor because you have a limited budget to be able to get stuff done. So it really plays a key role in terms of what we should be thinking about going forward. And I think there's a lot that we can do in development that we don't necessarily think of to be able to reduce those costs, like uh, tweaking the way that we're running our JVM, for example, or are we enabling uh, as, as effective as we can in our code in terms of the number of lines that we're running or the way in which we're building our application? So I think there's lots of steps we can take. It's just about bringing that to the forefront of developers' awareness and minds 
so that they're thinking about that as they develop the application. Yeah, something we already discussed. Currently, there's no way to, to know how much energy your application is consuming, yeah. which is also a critical factor in cost and, and profitability. Okay. Very interesting topic. I like to invite you for one of the next podcasts for a long. That would be great fun. Time. I would okay. love it. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks so much Have for having me. Have fun here at Paul. Thank, Thank you. you. Sustainability and cost management are hot topics nowadays, and it's a topic I also discussed with the following guests: Mark van der Walle, Koturk, and Ionit Baloshin. My name is Mark van der Walle. I'm a software architect at uh, Society Netherlands. Uh, so what brings me to Jfall? Uh, well, I've been here for many years, and it's not only about the sessions, but it's meeting people I've met every year at clients, at, at other conferences. Uh, so it's the Java community vibe, uh, yeah, learning new things and meeting well, colleagues and, and friends. Okay. And what is your expertise in Java? Uh, so mostly I do uh, Java modernization on cloud native platforms. And I'm, what I'm trying to do mostly is being more efficient. So we tend to, as an industry, uh, well, uh, just scale it up, uh, more hardware, mm -hmm. and that costs a lot of money, and it's also not that good for our environment. So I'm trying to actually bring that down, so more efficient Java, but also doing smarter things, uh, doing using less resources, and thus, well, benefiting the mm -hmm. planet. Uh, people call it FinOps, people mm -hmm. also call it EcoOps, I've heard. Yeah, so I think the most of the time, if you reduce your cloud spend or uh, do le with less resources, so it's either good for your mm -hmm. your wallet and for the environment. So yeah. it's sort of a, uh, well, benefits both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a story, I think, of Basecamp, uh, an American company who moved everything away from the cloud and went to their own hardware. Is that more efficient? Does it cost less, more, well, how about do you think? Okay, then I will give my architect answer and I will say it depends. Okay. Uh, I don't know <laughs> the exact case. Uh, and I think every company needs to make that choice for themselves. But what you get is, I'm not sure if they, do they use green energy in their own uh, environments? And do they have the ability to, let's say, use less hardware? Because mm -hmm. that's what you get. Yeah. Um, you have to use your own hardware. And uh, with clouds, you, well, you're you not using your own hardware. And if you use less, that hardware can be used by someone else. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm not sure if that's, I think it's financially perhaps a better move, but environmentally, not sure not if that's sure. the right, uh, right yeah. choice to do. And I think it's, as you said, it depends. Yeah, indeed. If you need to be able to scale up very fast, then then you need hardware then you and need hardware yeah. if you then scale down you have that hardware in abundance that's yours uh, you have to sell it or something or and that's that's the i think the benefit of the cloud if you're careful with it and you okay i need to scale up fast then it's there and if you don't need it anymore you're not sort of owning hardware mm -hmm. that you don't use yeah uh, there was a talk at jay spring by holly cummins yeah she had some very good arguments that I think 25% of cloud servers is doing nothing or not it's enough. even worse. So I think uh, the reports sort of, it was 21% last year and the forecast for this year is, uh, so cloud spend has risen by, well, a lot. And, but also the waste has, has risen to 28%. And uh, so we're, 
doing more, but also we're not still not doing it more efficiently. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she actually coined a very interesting phrase that I love, uh, which is light switch operations. Is that so? If you're not afraid to turn it off, or because you tur uh, turning it on is easy, yeah, then you're not too much afraid to turn it off. Yeah. And I really like that, and I'm a, a real big fan of that movement. Is that hey, make it easy to turn it on, so you're actually going to turn it off. Yeah, yeah, because I know the feeling. It's very easy to start up an extra server and yeah. make it big enough. Yeah, you don't want to be the person that kills an application yeah. or your company because the server is not big enough or not indeed. well dimensioned. Yeah, indeed. So yeah. take also the, the next one. Yeah, indeed. And, and that's a difficult decision, yeah. I think. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult, but we as an industry needs to start moving in that direction. And and Java, well, let's say big Java applications notoriously are sort of, okay, we're keeping our fingers crossed if it starts up with the big application servers and all the enterprise Java beans on that. And right now with cloud and smaller services, yeah, if one service fails, okay, most of the, the services are running and we can make it smaller mm -hmm. and so yeah, the architecture of that is also uh, something that we need to keep in mind. And a challenge. And because... a real, real back, big and complex challenge. Okay. Uh, you're not speaking nope. today, but no. what sessions are you looking forward to? Um, so I haven't looked at the timetable that much. Uh, too much choice. <laughs> it, I usually do it not last minute, but it's like, uh, I'm looking roughly. Uh, so I'm now going to uh, the next one is uh, by Grace Janssen. Uh, so it is about the complexity of cloud native development. So we need to know, well, way more than we needed yeah. five years ago. Yeah. And I think uh, she's going uh, into that, well, that conundrum. Okay, yeah. uh, thanks for this uh, small talk yeah. and uh, have fun today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is uh, Koturk. I'm a Java developer at uh, Blue IT. Uh, all in blue now. And uh, I have an assignment at Rabobank, developing there. Uh, transferring money and that kind of thing. So I really love it also there. And uh, why, what brings me to JFAL? I'm going to speak about sustainability. That's one. And I think JFAL is an awesome conference and everybody should go there. I think uh, every developer, Java developer. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about sustainability? Yeah. How, in what matter, uh, the amount of servers that you're using, the code that you're producing, what is important in your talk? Yeah, we have uh, four views. So we're looking at the GVM side. Uh, how, how can you measure your own GVM with your application in it? And we're also measuring uh, code quality. Is your code good enough or is it sustainable? We look at ar architecture. Uh, there are some architecture decisions that can help uh, you, like Maven caching and that kind of things. It's pretty nice also. It's improving also your speed, your build time. And also we look at a little bit of the web front end uh, there. So Different angles. Different angles. Yeah. Um, I just had a chat about uh, keeping your cloud costs yeah. under control. Yeah. Is that also something which is important in this topic? Yeah, you can go serverless, of course. So uh, using lambdas or that kind of things. So if you are in the cloud, just only use that one, uh, what you only need, uh, uh, auto scale and that kind of thing. So uh, those are things that are really important. Pipelines only run it on certain times and yeah. Okay. And less is possible, yeah. Yep. That's, uh, okay. Less is more. And yeah. all the talks will be online soon, so people can still uh, visit it. Yeah, I hope so. If they're not here. Yeah. Um, as a speaker, are you also going to other sessions? Yeah, I try to, but uh, JFAL is also a kind of reunion for me. 
So I see a lot of uh, people again. It's also a great network uh, opportunity. And um, yeah, that's, uh, that's really what I like about JFOL, the high quality talks also, and uh, the early birds also. So you need to be at eight o'clock and you already have good sessions and you have front row. And um, yeah, it's all kind of things. It's mm -hmm. like a learning, a meeting people, everything. Yeah. yeah. And it's a friendly community. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's Fuji. the Java community. <laughs> also the Fuji community. Um, what is in Java that you really love about the language, the framework, the system? Yeah, the different things. I think the most important thing is, I think, the community itself. Everybody is willing to help you, and there are a lot of samples. And if you have a question, you can just go to the speakers and ask, hey, can you help me? And they help you. And also in my daily job, I'm a consultant. So if I have a question and I don't know, nobody knows, I go just go to the speaker or to the source. And that's what I mostly love about Java. It's the community itself that matters. And also, yeah, I love the, long, uh, the language, of course. And yeah, it's, it's a good language. They are continu continually improving. Like they're seeing things, possibilities, like uh, uh, less uh, boilerplate and that kind of things, uh, uh, future threats. And yeah, it's evolving. So that's yeah. nice. Yeah. And there's a lot of evolvement going on in the Java system yeah. itself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 So you're a consultant. Yeah. That means that you're each time on a project for a short time. Yeah, I'm now at the assignment at the Rabobank for a, a very long time, but I have different projects there. So uh, every time you have a different uh, team or a different uh, project, kind of, mostly, and uh, you do different stuff sometimes with Java and then another JVM language. And then, yeah, yeah, it's like what I like is just to do the, the short projects, kind of. Uh, yeah, and that's uh, because I've never done consultancy, so I think that's a complete other mindset than being fixed at a company. Yeah, you have to be able to switch very fast, I think. Yeah, now I'm very long at the assignment, but uh, but different projects, what I said. But uh, yeah, you need to be a step uh, further than the rest. So you need to go to conferences like this to learn learn new things. What's upcoming? AI is upcoming. Uh, sustainability is uh, is one thing. You need to know about all kind of uh, GVM things, Graal uh, VM, uh, and many more. So you need to keep up to date, and that's definitely as a consultant, I think. Yeah. And you're at the right place. Yeah, thank to you. Learn about <laughs> okay, thanks a lot for joining uh, our interviews and being in the Fuji podcast. Yeah, and have thank fun you today. Very much. Yeah, thanks. Thank <laughs> you. My name is Jonas Baloshin. I came from Vienna, from Austria. And what brings me to JFOL, I think uh, we, we prepared a talk on, on sustainability, on green engineering. And we would like to share it with the people. And mm -hmm. that would be really cool because here the people, it's so keen on, on eco, on being eco and being more eco-friendly. Yeah, because this is the third interview where sustainability is a topic. So what's your point of view on this matter? Yes. So I think based on what I studied and the research on the market, uh, at least from a software perspective, we are still in the beginning. We don't have proper tools to accurate measure the energy consumption. I mean, software tools, you can measure the energy consumption with a wall power meter for the full box. But at least uh, available software, there are quite a few on the market and some of them are limited to only some hardware. Like, for example, Intel chipset is the one which allows you to measure partially the energy consumption yeah. for the CPU and the memory. 
But if your application is it's network or IO intensive, you cannot do that. So I think from a software perspective, we are still really scratching a bit the subject. Yeah. There was a talk at JSpring with Holly Cummins, which exactly this, this topic and how difficult it is to really know the impact of your application on energy usage. Correct, yeah, because uh, we, we did a lot of uh, measurements, yeah. We took custom of the shelf applications, like for example, Spring Boot ones, Quarkus based ones. We took like a benchmark suit and we assessed different JVMs. And we said, okay, let's, let's see which JVM consumes or it's more efficient within the same specifications. I mean, we didn't change any JVM parameter. And of course, everything behaves differently based on the from application to application, yeah? So it's very hard to quantify and to reach a conclusion which JVM is mm -hmm. more eco-friendly, but it's interesting to assess at least and to have an idea how to quantify that. But as I said, currently the software is really limited on this area. You're comparing JVMs? Are you comparing versions or distributions or...? Correct. Uh, we are comparing the same version, the same JDK version across different distributions. And do you see big differences there? Uh, yes, we see. We see some okay. big differences. Yes. Because I also have a talk this afternoon and a bit about what is the difference between versions, updates, distributions. Yeah. They all should behave the same because they're all TCK compliant. Yes. But that means that there is a different implementation in there. Correct, which makes the difference, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, what I can tell is it's that the, the hotspot-based ones uh, are pretty much equal, more or less, yeah, which means that the, 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 you know, the hotspot, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, the, the native image depends on the use case, but it's if, if you have it for shorter periods of time, which means half an hour, it's, it's much more efficient than all the others. But we also did something. We also did measure the build time, how much energy yeah. you consume on the build time, because to have a, a full comparison, you also need to understand the build time, yeah? because you also pay energy for the build time. And therefore, the build time, it's, you build it once, of course, but it has a bigger impact on, on the native image. Um, yeah, all, all in all, it, it, it's different from, from JVM and to JVM. This makes a difference. I think that the runtime makes a huge difference. The compiler, the default GC makes mm -hmm. a difference for sure. Okay. Um, so you're a speaker, means you're walking around also the whole day here. Will you be joining other sessions? Did you select some? Um, some sessions attract my, my eyes. Um, I probably attend two or three, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I usually attend after my talk because I'm more relaxed. Uh, before my talk, I, uh, I'm a bit cautious, mm -hmm. yeah, because staying too much focus uh, gets me very tired for my session. Yeah, yeah. But this is just for myself. It's my way of, of being, yeah? Mm -hmm. It's not valid for us. And what time is your session? Uh, it's around two. Okay, so you still have some time, yes. a few hours. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's nice that we see all the names here on the list oh, yeah, that's <laughs> behind good. us. Yeah. Um, Okay, uh, thanks for this talk. Thank thanks you. for joining our uh, Fuji podcast. Thank you so much. And have fun with your session. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Next to sustainability, an extra challenge in cloud environments is the management of secrets and keys. And that's precisely the topic Deepu was talking about at JFall. Uh, I'm Deepu K. Shashidharan. Uh, I'm a developer advocate at Okta. Uh, so I have a talk about uh, fast keys for uh, Java developers today. 
uh, and also have a booth, so I'm also participating in the booth. So you're also a salesperson today? Uh, not trying to sell per se. I haven't made any sales yet. Uh, but yeah, trying to educate developers and uh, mm -hmm. do some uh, evangelism. Um, can you summarize your talk that you're giving into two sentences? Uh, maybe yeah. even more. So we need a passwordless future. Passwords are a huge problem for us. So we need passkeys now and we need uh, adoption now. So that's mm -hmm. all the talk. And are there tools to make this easier? Um, there are uh, services and products to make it easier. And uh, 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 me working for Okta, uh, we also have uh, uh, services to make it better. So I'll be doing some demonstrations, uh, talking about tools and libraries to uh, uh, you know, use to make it easier and, and uh, show also how to build it yourself. So what can you uh, simplify is, for instance, the passwords for your databases, things like that, mm -hmm. that you need in your application. Is uh, that the kind of stuff you want to simplify and optimize? Yeah, so so passwords are, the hu passwords are a huge problem, right? So they are a problem for the end user because, you know, uh, you have to remember things. Uh, you can be social engineered to divulge your passwords. Uh, it can be breached, uh, you know, uh, it can be remotely attacked. So it's, it's a lot of a list of problems. Uh, but when it comes to passkeys, it is a crypto cryptographic uh, key pair, right? And only a public key send, uh, gets sent for, uh, you know, whatever mm -hmm. your websites are using, right? And uh, if anyone breaches those, uh, you are not going to be able to do anything with public key. So much more safer and passkeys are phishing resistant. Uh, it's much more convenient to use because you're going to use your existing uh, biometric uh, uh, platform authenticators or some hardware authenticators and stuff like that. So it's, it's more convenient than remembering and uh, using password managers and all those things. Uh, it is much more secure and uh, I think it is the next uh, step in our authentication game uh, for us to evolve into a passwordless mm -hmm. uh, society. Uh, passwords are very critical, so I think the whole structure to maintain this is very complex or... or so passkeys should make it simpler because mm -hmm. currently uh, with passwords, there are a lot of uh, things you need to do, like, uh, you know, managing uh, resets or, you know, uh, uh, you're uh, securing those passwords and a lot of things. You need multi-factor authentication. There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be done to make it secure and make it convenient. With passkeys, you don't have to do a lot of things. They are recoverable by design and uh, they are phishing resistant and secure by design. So you don't have to do all these by yourself in every website that you're using, right? So it is. it will simplify things. It will make the infrastructure simpler. It will reduce costs for the people building websites and maintaining those. And overall, it should be a... a, a a good thing for the end users as well as the uh, uh, folks building. Mm -hmm. Okay, I've seen you already a few times at conferences. What other topics are you talking about? Uh, so, uh, being a polyglot developer, I think uh, uh, I talk mostly about Java and maybe followed by Rust and a little bit of Kubernetes here and there. Uh, a lot about JHipster because I'm also the co lead of JHipster, so I, I do go and talk uh, that a lot. Uh, but lately, I have been doing a lot of uh, uh, Java core uh, talks, like uh, Project Loom talks, uh, uh, new feature talks, and stuff like that. And uh, now I'm doing an identity talk. Uh, so this is my first identity talk. Uh, so far, I have been focusing on language-related talks. So this is my first uh, non-language-related mm -hmm. like, uh, identity and authentication and security-related talks. So I'm, I'm quite looking forward. Mm. You're a polyglot developer, so you're using different languages. Yes. Is Java the best one? Uh, I'm, a, I'm a honest uh, developer, and I think uh, anyone who knows me knows that I love Rust the most. Uh, <laughs> maybe followed by Java, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I give all of them uh, uh, judgment based on mm -hmm. what they do. 
So my favorite definitely is Rust because of uh, the developer experience of that, uh, uh, followed by Java. Okay. Java used to be my favorite until Rust. Okay. So and, and the big difference is for you, the developer experience. Uh, developer experience, uh, uh, the fact that uh, in Rust, I don't have to worry about a lot of things that I have to worry in other languages, like, for example, uh, uh, the security aspects, uh, uh, the, the garbage collection, there's no garbage collection, uh, you know, the memory management as aspect of Rust, I really love it. Uh, I love that I can write a Rust code in any way I want, I don't have to worry about performance, mm -hmm. whereas in every other language, including Java, depending on the style of code that you write, your performance is going to vary. Functional is going to have less performance than uh, imperative code, but in Rust you can do whatever and it's going to be the same. Mm -hmm. So I, I love these things. And these are the things I would love uh, uh, for Java to have, and these are the things I advocate for Java to have as yeah. wherever I go. And do you think that a lot of these things will come to Java? Hopefully, eventually, uh, uh, but uh, we know that uh, the process is a bit slower here. Uh, but I hope uh, eventually it, it, it comes around because we are already seeing some nice features uh, like pattern matching and stuff coming to Java. So I, I hope, I really hope all these kind of features from other modern languages, mm. you know, uh, gets adopted and yeah. gets implemented in, in such a stable language as Java. Because the, the reason I love Java is the stability of the ecosystem and the fact that you can build something today and you can probably run it for 20 years. Yeah, yeah. So that is uh, quite unique, I would say. Uh, so I, 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 I like that aspect. And if we also have modern features, more the better developer experience, then yeah, it will be a killer combination. I think you said Java's evolving a bit slow, but actually that's the reason it's stable. Because every change is really well designed mm -hmm. to make sure that we have backwards compatibility. Yeah, but at some point it also starts to feel like a burden, right? That, yeah. that backward compatibility. Maybe maybe at some point we are, we we should just break support and you know yeah. evolve uh, like like a one one world version break. It's nice, but uh, I think at some point it also starts to become a baggage. Yeah, but boring is good, eh? Uh, boring is good. Uh, yeah, uh, I think in in practice it is good, but not not so much fun. Okay, good. We also need some fun. I think people are coming for coffee. Yeah. A lot of noise here. Thanks a lot for being here. Thank you. And uh, hope to have you in one of the next podcasts again. Thank you. This was part one of my JFall review. In the following part, next week, you'll learn more about how you can leave a legacy, prevent the burnout, what the IKEA effect is, and a lot more. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Thanks for listening. Give me a foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.